sometimes I feel so small when I come up after you, Benito. <laughs> I feel a bit like that at home. My children, <laughs> two of mine are my height now. Um, assuming they're 11 and 13, I'm starting to feel very small. Um, <laughs> and I don't wear heels, so <laughs> anyway. Um, nice to see you here this Sunday. I'm speaking today on the nature and character of God. Um, we've been looking at... <laughs> here I am. <laughs> um, We've been looking at the topic of deeper and stronger the last number of weeks and and I just want to bring that verse up just to refresh that in our mind. Does anyone remember where that passage is from? Yeah? Anyway, it's from Psalm 1, uh, verse 1 to 3. There it is. So blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. So we've been looking at this scripture and looking at growing deeper and stronger with God. And I love the words in this passage. They delight in the law of the Lord day and night. Like trees on the riverbank, they bear fruit each season. To produce fruit each season, we have to have these deep, deep roots rooted into the essence of God, soaking in the goodness of his word in every day, every area of our lives. And what I want to look at today is the nature and character of God and how understanding God's nature and character reflects in our ability to grow deeper and stronger through all the challenges, disappointments and trials that we face in life. We read these words, they prosper in all they do. So why then, as Christians, as people who believe in God, why then do we face challenges? Why then do we face trials and disappointments? We read these words, so why are we facing these things? Surely when we become Christians, we begin our relationship with God, we should expect prosperity in every area of our life. That's what God tells us that we'll get. We should never expect to face trials and be disappointed again, right? Wrong. (laughs) So I'm going to cover that with you today, but I'm just going to start by opening in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us today. I pray that you use my words to speak into our lives. I pray that you open our hearts to hear what you want us to hear and our eyes to see new things that we perhaps have not seen before. We pray that you... Just speak into our hearts and I pray that we can all just start to grow deeper and deeper within the truth of your word. We ask in your name, Lord. Amen. Have you ever been disappointed with anything? Yes, (laughs) I've been disappointed before. I have an auntie and we're not going to mention names, okay? But when we were young, she used to get me and my sister mixed up. She used to get our names mixed up. I'm pretty sure it's this auntie, but maybe a different one. I have a number of aunties. Anyway, one Christmas, we're sitting there at our family celebration and under the tree were the presents. There was one box and it had my sister's name, Jessica, written on the box. And one was a ball. It was clearly wrapped as a ball. There was no giveaways. It wasn't a ball in a box. It was a ball and it was wrapped in wrapping paper and it had Emily written on it. I was so excited. I knew what it was and I really, really wanted that ball. I loved basketball at the time and I was really looking forward. So we had lunch and we gathered around the tree to do presents. And Emily, this one's for you. And I got up to get my ball 
and it was passed to Jessica. And then I was passed the box that said Jessica to me. And I was so disappointed because I wanted that ball. I really, really wanted it. And I don't remember what was in the other gift. Um, you know, I'm sure it was equally as enjoyable as the ball. Um, and, um, but it turns out that the names were confused. And so the ball was intended for someone else. And I was so disappointed at the time. And obviously that hasn't scarred me much. <laughs> but I think in life we've all experienced this. We've all experienced disappointment at some point in our life. All of us have at some point. You've gone for that job and you just, you, you absolutely know you're going to get it. And you get knocked back. You know, you've made this beautiful cake and you've put everything in and you've mixed it and you're waiting and you pull it out the oven and it hasn't risen or you've, you start to eat it and you realise you forgot to put the sugar in it. Um, you know, you've made a plan and it hasn't gone the way you intended it to do. You've counted on being well and you've made plans for your future and suddenly you've been given a diagnosis that throws it out the window. Whatever it may be, we've all faced trials or been disappointed at some point in our life. For some of us, it's multiple times a day. What I want to look at today is several stories in the Bible about how God's nature and character is revealed in their lives despite their situations. But to understand the nature and character of God, first we need to understand the definition of nature and character and what it looks like in God. I read these definitions and I found them um, very thought-provoking. I'll put it up there. To know his nature without his character is to know a machine that is capable of anything but without purpose or design. And to know his character without his nature is to know a person capable of thinking and acting with purpose and design, but unable to do anything. I've spent a lot of time in preparing for this message at what is God's nature and character. And what I've found is that really the nature and character of God are used interchangeably. You cannot separate one from the other. You cannot have one without the other. But to define nature and character as simply as I can, nature is what a person is, what you are, and character is what a person does or why you act. When I think about the nature and character of God, I would love there to be this easy-to-understand list just printed there so you can look at it and just know that is what it is. I like it when things are easy to understand. But the Bible's not the dummy's guide to God. Uh, it's, it's this revelation of God through the lives of people and it's documented down for us to read and reflect on to impact our life. It's a revelation that's been through the lives of people that have gone before us, before us and it's recorded there for us to read. And all throughout scripture we find words that describe God's nature and character and passages which reveal God's nature and character from right from the beginning of Genesis um, you read in Genesis 1:27, God created us in his image. He's his sovereign, mighty God, yet his, his nature's revealed that he, despite his sovereignty, he's made us in his image. That's the character of God. Right through to the end of Revelation, you read in Revelation 21:4 that he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more because that's his character. So you can see right from the beginning, right through to the end and everywhere in between, the Bible is full of revelations of the nature and character of God. So what are some of the characteristics of God's nature and character? 
they, they're interchangeable, they work together. But what I've tried to do is just to list a few today to give you some examples and then um, use some stories from the Bible from where it's really jumped out at me of its, where it's really obvious just for you today to kind of explain and to, to show you how it works. But to be honest, basically the entire Bible is revelations of God's nature and character, really. You know, every aspect of our lives from the beginning of time through to now, every aspect of our life is, is a part of God's nature and character. But I've selected a few for you today. Um, but let's look then at God's nature. So when we look at God's nature, we understand that God is sovereign. It says in Psalms 8 verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We understand that God is holy. He's omnipotent, omniscient and omnipresent. So he's, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing and he's everywhere. He's immortal, he's eternal, he's unchangeable. It says in 1 Timothy 1.17, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. We can't see him. God is spirit. It says in John 1.18, that no one has seen God, but the one and only Son who himself is God as it, and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. He's just. He's, he remembers all things and he stands for justice. In Hebrews 6.10 it says, God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. And in Hebrews 8.12 it tells us, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sin. We read of his justice, you know, in Matthew 5.45 he says, he makes the sun rise on both the good and the evil and he sends rain on both the just and unjust. It's his nature, he is just. And then we look at some of the attributes of God's character. The first one that comes is that God is love. You know, in 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In 1 John 4, 16, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. That's first and foremost God's character. But then we look at other things in God's character, his goodness, his holiness, his, his wise uh, he's gracious, he's compassionate, he's kind, he's merciful, he's forgiving, he's long-suffering, he's slow to anger, he's faithful, and he's more. He is a loving father to all who believe. Those words I've used describe, to describe God's character, does it sound familiar? Does it sound like a, a passage in the Bible? It sounds like 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 8, which says, Love is patient, love is kind. It is not envious, love does not brag, it's not puffed up, it's not rude, it's not self-serving, it's not easily angered or resentful, it's not glad about injustice but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. And really to define God's character, you can interchange the word God for love in this passage um, because we know that his character is first and foremost love. Try looking at this passage with that in mind. God is patient, God is kind, God is not envious, God does not brag, God does, is not puffed up, God is not rude, he's not self-serving, God is not easily angered or resentful, God is not glad about injustice but rejoices in the truth, God bears all things, he believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, 
because God never ends. Amen and amen. You see, God is good. This fact never changes. He's good all the time, not just once in a while or when things are going your way. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Now, many of you know I love to study the women in the Bible in particular. I've got nothing against the men. Um, It's not that. But, you know, there's so many women in the Bible and you see little snippets of their story and there's so much more to it. There's so much we can learn from them. Um, And I want to mention a few of them in my message today. And when we think of the nature and character of God, we see it so evident constantly throughout the word of God. So I think of Rahab. Um, If you know the story of Rahab found in Joshua 2, she was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. And two of God's men came and she hid them in uh, her home to protect them from the soldiers seeking them out. And she, Rahab, despite her profession, despite not even belonging to the people of Jericho, she knew God's truth and it was deep in her heart. We read in Joshua 2, um, this is what she says to the men. She's hid them and before they go she says, For we have heard of how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. We know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has had the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of heavens above and below the earth. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my mother and my father and my brothers and sisters and their families. Now, Rahab didn't Google these stories to understand them. She didn't Google about the Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings. She didn't just flip back a couple of chapters in her Bible. She didn't have a Bible. You know, these stories were handed verbally down through generations and with nothing documented, they, they held on to these stories in their heart. It, it was the essence of her faith despite what situations had been thrown at her life that had caused her to do the things she did, she was holding on to these promises that had been handed down through generations and she had these roots in deep enough to understand the truth of God. You see, she risked her life to, to protect God's men and that kind of life-risking behaviour comes from the roots that are that are sunk so deeply into the knowledge of God. And we know God's nature is one that he doesn't forget. So when Joshua 6, when, when the city of Jericho does fall down, it says in the Bible, only Rahab the prostitute and others in her house were spared for, because she protected God's men. So we see God remembers, he is just, and he will not forget what you've done for him. Wow, doesn't that excite you? You know, God doesn't forget what you do for him. His nature is that he will not forget. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. That's God's nature. He's just. He wants justice. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. That is God. I think of Esther. Uh, whose story is full of incredible miracles and deliverance. But there's this conversation between Esther and Mordecai, which I love. 
We don't have time this morning to go through the entire book of Esther, which is full of these incredible series of events which lead to this moment. But the quick version is Esther is an orphan Jewish girl um, and she's raised by her cousin Mordecai. um, And he was a wonderful man and he raised her well. And eventually, because of a series of events, she is taken into the king's harem. And um, her cousin Mordecai hears this plot to kill off the Jews. So there's a plot by an evil man, um, Haman, and he wants to basically rid the world of Jews. Um, He wants to annihilate the entire population. And Mordecai hears this plan um, and he says to Esther, because she's in the king's palace, and he says, you know, you need to go to the king and, and tell him we've got to stop this. We're Jewish, we've got to stop this. And she's really fearful um, because she knows that if she goes up to the king without having been called, he can order her to be put to death. So she's really fearful, if I go, what will happen? And there's this, there's this dialogue of conversation through messages between Mordecai and Esther. And in Esther 4, 13, uh, 13 and 14, we read... Um, what Mordecai says to Esther. He says, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And this is what I find to me reveals God so much. I mean, we often think that Esther saved the Jews through what she did, which is true. Spoiler alert, in the, end of the, in the end of the chapter, with dependence on God, Esther goes to the king, she pleads for the Jews, and ultimately they're spared from this massacre. But what is interesting to see in these verses is that Mordecai, in his wisdom, says to Esther, if you keep silent, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. That's God's character and nature. You know, if she said, no, I can't do it, I'm not going to do it, God will still have sent deliverance and relief for the Jews that time. You know, that is the nature and character of God. He wants justice and it's a perfect example of the kind of God that we serve. He wants his people to be safe. Had she not gone, those people would have been saved anyway. But we see Esther's response to Mordecai in the next passage in the the next verses her response to him saying this is gather the Jews ask them to fast and pray with me then I will go to the king and if I perish I perish she used this opportunity to step into the plan that God had for her life and the lives of the Jewish people I think so often we believe we can't do something I don't have the ability I can't do that in public I can't speak to that person. But the thing is, God will get through to them somehow. He will save his people somehow through another way, through someone else who can obey what he says because that is the nature of God. He wants justice for his people. But when we have deep roots established in God, when we're planted by these rivers of living water, nourishing ourselves in God's word and the presence of God, we are equipping ourselves to be the one to take that stand to be Esther to the Jews, to be the light in the darkness, to stand up for injustice because God loves everyone. He will give justice to the oppressed. If not you, he will use someone else. But why not then let it be you? Why not be that one to say, okay, I'll do it. 
God's looking for people firmly rooted in him who are ready to say yes and take a risk to save a generation of people from perishing. Why not say yes, God? I don't feel ready. I don't know if I can do it, but I'll go. I'll do what you say. Like Esther said, if I perish, I perish. And when I think of the character of God, particularly the kindness and compassion in God's story and uh, God's heart, another story springs to mind. This one is... um, This story is found in Genesis 18 and it was the first thing I thought of when I was looking at the nature and character of God. And it's the Lord speaking with Abraham. Um, He's speaking with Abraham about the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you're not familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the quick version is it was a really wicked city. Um, So Abraham is walking with some visitors towards this wicked city. to see them on their way. And the Lord comes and speaks to Abraham um, and he tells Abraham that he plans to destroy the city. It's so wicked, I want to destroy it. Um, The sin uh, is so grievous there that I'm going to destroy the city. And we see Abraham's discussion with God in um, Genesis 18, verse 23 onwards. So Abraham approached him and said, would you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in a city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all earth do right? And the Lord replies to Abraham and says, If I find 50 righteous people in a city of Sodom, I will spare it. I will spare the whole place for their sake. And then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous is less than 50? Is it five less? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? And God says, if I find 45 righteous people, I'll spare the city. I won't destroy it. Once again, Abraham replies, what if only 40 are found there? And this conversation continues, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. What if only 30 can be found there? For the sake of 30, I will not do it. What about if there's only 20? What about if there's only 10? And God said, for the sake of 10, I will not do it. And I love this story because it shows God's character so perfectly. He does not want to destroy us. So many people think that God is this big being that sits up above the earth and he's there with his his rod and his lightning bolt and he's waiting he's waiting for you to do something wrong so he can go up destroyed you know gone you know he's waiting for you to fail but it's not true that's not God that's not the nature of God he's so kind he wants the best for his children you know I can do this to a certain extent with my children can I watch for five minutes more okay you can have five minutes not more you know I'm, I'm sure they're going to be all lawyers, but, you know. Well, what about 10 minutes? Can I just watch for 10 minutes more? Okay, you can watch for 10 minutes with absolutely nothing after that. What about 20 minutes? You know, I can do it to a certain extent, but you get to that point where you go, okay, 20 minutes, absolutely it, no more after that, then you're going straight to bed, you know. God's not like that. He, he loves his people. He doesn't want to destroy us. He wants us to have every blessing available to us. And he gives us opportunity after opportunity because his character is love. 
And as we draw closer to God through his word, we draw deeper to him. We put our roots deeply into God, deeply in, and we understand his nature and his character. And what really strikes to me is that the understanding of God's nature and character means that even though we go through difficult situations and trials, God has our best interests at hand. We understand this best when we have roots established deeply in him. You think of someone, think of someone in your life that you know who has walked with the Lord for decades. What attributes do you see in their life? They're attributes similar to the attributes we see in God because the nature of those people are similar to the nature of God because the more we have our roots established in him, the more like him we become. Have you ever noticed that the more time you spend with someone, the more you begin to be like that person? If you're a married couple, you start to take on mannerisms and and words and behaviours of that person because you spend so much time with them. This is our goal as Christians, is to become more like God, to reflect God in our lives to all who we meet. Now think of that person again who has attributes like God. I'm sure they've been through challenges but the way they've responded is different because they have the roots to sustain them through. You see, a life of obedience to God when it is not difficult is the best preparation for a life of obedience when real challenges come. Don't think that you can live life your own way and then when these big tests come, you'll suddenly have a heart to obey God. It doesn't work like that. Everyday obedience develops the muscles that are needed when the going gets tough. I did a big long walk last year and I didn't practice for it. It was 26 Ks and the last few Ks were tough because I didn't have the muscles that were needed to complete the task. But that's what God is saying. You know, when we, when we obey every day, we develop those muscles, we practice and we build up those muscles so that when we face challenges, we have the muscles required to face those challenges. Another example of someone in the Bible I, um, I see in this is Elizabeth. You may not know a lot about Elizabeth, but she, um, her story is found in Luke 1 and she was married to a priest, she was married to Zechariah and she came from this priestly heritage. Um, uh, you can read in the Bible, she, she comes from this line of um, priestly family. Um, and her and Zechariah served the Lord. The Bible tells us they both walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Yet her and her husband prayed and prayed for a child and they didn't have a child. They followed everything that God said, but they didn't have one of the things that they were yearning for. That must have been disappointing for them. She must have felt disappointed. Yet when we read her story in Luke 1, she's not lamenting her frustrations over this. She is full of faith and God gives her a child in her old age. You see, what is mentioned in Luke 1 is Elizabeth reflecting this this response of yes to what God asked, loaded with grace and obedience and serving and peace. And all these responses come from roots that are deeply established in the Lord God. You see, God is gracious to us. He had favour on Elizabeth because the nature and character of God is love and kindness and compassion. You compare Elizabeth's response to a situation she couldn't have a child. You compare that to other people in the Bible like Sarah or Rebecca. 
they grew impatient. They, they, even though they had that faith, they grew impatient and they took matters into their own hands. The nature of, and character of God was revealed in all of their situations. They all ended up with a child. But what we see in the difference is Elizabeth's gracious faith and trust and patience. She had deep roots, like a tree planted by a stream. She continued to wait without taking matters into her own hands because she was anchored by hope. And that's what the Bible means to have deep roots. Think of hope like a pearl produced within a clamshell. In order for the pearl to develop, an irritant must be present. Natural pearls form when a foreign object such as a speck of dust or a, a little bit of sand or grit works its way into the hard outer shell of the clam. As a means to protect itself, the clam then coats that irritant in layers of fluid until the beautiful pearl is formed. You think of diamonds, they're formed under conditions of intense heat and pressure. You see, we've all been that clamshell with an irritant that's forced its way in. The question is, are you going to take that irritant and make it something beautiful? Or are you going to let that irritant destroy you? You may or may not know that for me, it's been close to six years I've been living with cancer. For me, my irritant is cancer. This little cell has wreaked havoc in my life, but I choose to stand strong in the knowledge and truth of my God because I know he has a plan for me. I have roots deep in him, so when the trials come, I can understand God's character and nature, and I know that God says, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. I understand that faith in the providence of God may feel long, especially at the crossroads of hope and despair, time after time, but that each intersection is an opportunity to renew my faith in God's promises and choose to continue the next step of obedience. The truth is... We are all constantly faced with things in our life. For me, it may be cancer, but we all have something. Depression, addiction, loneliness, poverty, broken families, health issues. And when we're faced with these things, all we see is the immediate moment. Most of the time, we can't see the big picture, but God can. He can see the picture because he's painting the picture. He's weaving the tapestry of your life. You see, Elizabeth's miracle wasn't just for her life or for her family, but for all of Israel and beyond, for the whole world, even for us today. You see, the disappointments and trials that we face are not about us. They're about Jesus. We may not choose it, but we embrace it. I don't choose my cancer, but I embrace that it's a part of God's plan, a part of the tapestry God's weaving for my life, not only for now, but beyond me. See, trials and disappointments are forms of pressure that are necessary for us to become who we are intended to be. Trials are a necessary part of the process in becoming who God wants us to be, with roots well established in God and his words. When we have our roots well established, we will not wither, but we will stand tall and we prosper in all we do. James 1 verse 2 to 4 says, Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Everything that comes into our lives one way or another is a part of God's plan to make Jesus known to the world. When we can't see it, 
we just trust. When our roots are deep in the word of God, his words become our leaves. When you face trouble, God's character and nature become evident in your responses and your actions and your life as a result. When you feel unsettled, you know that Micah 5.5 tells us he will be your peace. When you can't relax from anxiety, you know that in peace I will lie down for you, Lord, give me safety. When we're filled with sadness or grief, we remember that he's turned our mourning into dancing. He's turned our sackcloth into joy. When we lack what we need, we can trust in Psalm 34.10 that the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who trust the Lord lack no good thing. When you walk through times of darkness and disappointment, we're assured in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I do not fear because you're with me. When it all just gets too much, you know 1 Peter 4, 12, 13 says, Do not be surprised at the fiery trail when it comes to test you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The truth is God is with us wherever we go. And our deep roots in Christ allow us to understand this. Through every trial, every disappointment and every circumstance in life, God is with us. In Joshua 1.9, it tells us how. It says, this is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wow, that excites me. God is with us wherever we go. God's word gives us the key. The best promise of all, the Lord will be with you wherever you go. Knowledge of his word, studying the Bible is how we grow these deep roots to sustain us in life that gives us strength and courage to go through whatever we go through. I think ultimately what I learned about God's character and nature by doing this study is that God is good. He is love and he's good. And I encourage you to read through the Bible with an idea of God's nature and character and you'll begin to understand more and more about him. And as you understand more, your roots will be strengthened and deepened in him.